Thank you. That was awesome worship. Wasn't it? Well, we'll open up with a short joke this morning. You seem to do better with short jokes. So, Question, what is the best thing about Switzerland? Well, I'm not sure myself, but one thing I know for certain is that the flag is certainly a plus. Yeah, it might have been a little too deep for some people, but that's all right. You know, I'm just coming back from California, and that's a good joke for the Californians, so. Well, this morning we're going to continue our series in the book of 1 John, and I've entitled the message, What Do You Love? What Do You Love? Lord, I thank you for the awesome worship, and I just and consistently just so grateful for the worship teams that you've given us, Lord God. May you continue just to bless each and every one of them. I thank you for every person that you drew here this morning. Lord, I always believe there's no accidents, there's no coincidences in the kingdom of God. And so you've drawn each person here for a reason. I pray that you would give them soft hearts to receive all that you have for them. That you would give them ears to hear what you're trying to say to them so that they can experience freedom in life because that's what Jesus came for. He came to set us free and to give us life. I pray that continuously for all of us here. I ask that you would fill me from the soles of my feet to the crown of my head, and that I would truly speak your words this morning. And so I just look expectantly now what's going to be accomplished here, and I just give you the praise in Jesus' name. Amen. That pretty much sums up the Christian life. Or to be lights. We're to be lights in an ever-darkening world, and probably what's most troubling to me as as a pastor is to see just how dim our lights are getting. I am very encouraged, though, by our congregation and just how I've seen, and I'm seeing the changes not only in my own life, but I'm seeing changes in your life, and, and I am greatly encouraged by that. But when you get up in the morning, do you realize as a true child of God and a follower of Jesus, we're here to let our light shine. And and John's going to put his finger, I think, this morning on why the vast majority, sadly, of Christianity in America has a dimming light. The text this morning is out of 1 John chapter 2 and verses 15 through 17. Tim put it up. Do not love this world nor the things it offers you. For when you love the world, you do not have the love of the Father in you. For the world offers only a craving for physical pleasure, a craving for everything we see, and pride in our achievements and possessions. These are not from the Father, but they are from this world. And this world is fading away, along with everything that people crave. But anyone who does what pleases God will live forever. Now, as I said before, when you look at the book of 1 John, the book of 1 John short letter, five chapters. It's essentially tests. So it's a great book because what it is, you can give yourself the test. I can give myself the test. And it tests whether I'm really the genuine article, whether I'm really the the real deal, a follower of Jesus, or whether I'm a pseudo-Christian, a pretend Christian. And this morning, John is crystal clear in the text we're looking at. He's saying, you know, Frank, if you're really a follower, if you're a true follower, then you're not going to love this world. And 
The word he uses for love is a longing for, an intense caring about. So John is saying that the true follower of Jesus is not going to have a caring about, an intense longing for this world. Tim, you can put up the picture. Now, this is not a backhanded slap on John's part at Al Gore or the environmentalist, all right? He's not talking here about the physical world. He does use the word cosmos, and cosmos can mean many different things. But as I've said over and over again, if you want to get the right interpretation, it's context, context, context. Context is king, and the context here, very clearly what John is talking about is what theologians call the world system. I am not to love. You are not to love. You are not to have an intense longing for, a caring about the practices, the priorities, the way this world thinks. This world, this world system is categorically, diametrically in opposition to God and his kingdom. Billy Graham. Tim, will you put up his picture? Billy Graham, as many of you know, just recently died not too long ago. He was 99 years young. And Billy Graham, I believe, had the greatest privilege that I know of leading more people to Jesus Christ than anyone who has ever lived. And in one of his messages, he said this. Please listen. Our interests are in ourselves. We are preoccupied with material things. Our supreme god is technology. Our goddess is sex. Most of us are more interested in getting to the moon than getting to heaven. We are more dedicated to material security than to inward purity. We give much more thought to what we wear, what we eat, what we drink, and what we can do to relax than to God and what matters to him most. Ouch. Keith Green. Tim, will you put up his picture? Keith Green has an interesting story, an amazing story. In fact, he was kind of a musical child prodigy. Uh, He signed a deal, can you believe this, with Decca Records at 11 years of age. But by the age of 14, his career wasn't going too well. Apparently, the musical industry did not know how to market such a young talent. Green became disillusioned. In fact, he felt like he was a total failure. And at the age of 15, Keith Green ran away from home, and he began, as he would say, his descent into drugs, into free love, which he would say is not too free, and Eastern mysticism. At the age of 19, he met a girl. That girl's name was Melody. Melody introduced him to a person. That person's name is Jesus Christ. And Keith Green said, I never recovered from that encounter with Jesus Christ. At the age of 20, Keith Green married Melody, smart man. At age 21, he had a calling he set on his life from God. And God called him to a John the Baptist-type ministry. And if you've never listened to his music, listen to it because you would understand exactly what he's saying. Green wrote a song entitled, You Love This World. Here are just some of the lyrics. I, being God, want you here with me, but you've been keeping other company. You can't sit still, it's plain to see. You love the world, and you're avoiding me. My word sits there upon your desk, but you love your books and magazines the best. You prefer the light of your television. You love this world, you're avoiding me. You used to pray you were so brave. Now you can't even keep one appointment we've made. Oh, I gave my blood to save your life. Tell me, tell me, 
Is it right? You love this world, and you're avoiding me. Seven years after God called Keith Green to wake up a sleeping church, God took him home in a plane crash in 1982. He was just 28 years old at that time. Keith Green's life demonstrates that it's not how long you live that's going to matter. What really matters in life is, am I doing and am I going to complete what God has called me to do? You know, some of you might be thinking, you know, why shouldn't I love this world and all that it has to offer? Let me give you two scriptures just for your thinking. Tim, first put up 1 John chapter 5 and verse 19. It says this, We know that we are children of God and that the world around us is under the control of the evil one. Then put up Ephesians chapter 2 and verses 1 and 2, would you, Tim? As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world. And the ruler of the kingdom of the air, which is Satan, the spirit that's now in work in those who are disobedient. John and Paul agree. They tell us that this world, this world system, the world's priorities, the world after what it seeks, its author, can you believe this? Its author is Satan. The mastermind is Satan. Who do you think came up with the American dream? No, no. Who do you think came up with the American dream? See, it's Satan, and that's hard for us to admit. Tim, will you put up the picture? That's Anton LaVey. Very interesting guy. He started the Church of Satan in San Francisco. And in 1966, he announced, this is the first year of the age of Satan. In 1969, Anton LaVey produced what is known as the Satanic Bible. I will not dignify it by even putting a picture up. But according to LaVey in the Satanic Bible, here are the nine tenets of Satanism. Now, please listen to this. It's it's disturbing, but yet interesting at the same time. Number one, Satan represents indulgence instead of abstinence. Number two, Satan represents the here and now, not spiritual pipe dreams. Number three, Satan represents real wisdom, power, acquisition, self-promotion, not weakness and humility. Number four, Satan represents kindness to those who deserve it instead of love wasted on the weak and the pitiful. Number five, Satan represents vengeance instead of turning the other cheek. Number six, Satan represents man as just another animal because of his spiritual and intellectual development. He has become the most vicious animal of all. Number seven, Satan represents all the so-called sins as they lead to physical, mental, or emotional gratification. Number eight, Satan has been the best friend of the church has ever had as he has kept it in business all of these years. And finally, number nine, when walking in open territory, bother no one. If someone bothers you, ask him to stop. If he does not stop, destroy him. There it is. Those are the tenets of Satan. And by the way, if you really think about it, that is how most of the world operates under the tenets, these nine tenets. Maybe not all of them, but quite a few of them. And what is disturbing is how many American Christians have bought in to these tenets of Satan. And now you can understand why Jesus, or James, the half-brother of Jesus, wrote these penetrating words in James chapter 4 and verse 4. You adulterers. Don't you realize that friendship with the world, 
See, he makes you an enemy of God. I'm going to say it again. If you want to be a friend of the world, then you are an enemy of God. There's, there, see, there's no gray area. Do you understand? See, if I'm a friend of the world and I imbibe the words, values, and priorities, I am categorically saying that I am against God. Now, John gives us a kind of test here. The test is this. The test is, are we worldly or not? And he says that there's a way that I can understand and know objectively if I'm really following Satan and his tenets. And he says that this world, the people of this world, are driven by three main values. And I want to look at each one of them just for a moment. First, the Apostle John tells us that this world, the people of this world crave, they lust after, they desire physical or fleshly pleasure. You can see that in 1 John chapter 2 and verse 16. Do you know that there's no question that the average American just loves leisure? We love our free time. I mean, most people want to stop working so that they can just do what they want to do and just have all kinds of fun and free time. In fact, just recently, Vox Media released a chart. Now, I'm not going to show you the entire chart, but what this chart was about is how the average American spends their time. Now, listen to this. I'm going to give you part of what they said. Here it is. The average American sleeps slightly over eight hours a day. Now, some of you are going to do it a little more, and some of you will do it a little less, but about eight hours a day. Nothing really too unusual there or about that. But you know what surprised me? What surprised me is what came in second place. The average American spends six hours every day doing leisure activities. This includes television watching, which is about two and a half hours to three hours a day, followed by playing video games, time on social media websites, internet surfing, eating, drinking, and doing various hobbies. Pretty interesting. You know what's third on the list? Work. Now, work, see, most Americans say they work eight hours a day. Not so. Do you know what the average American actually works? Now, you go to your job for eight hours a day, but do you know how many hours the actual, they've actually studied this, the average person works at their job? Slightly less than four hours. You know what they're doing the rest of the time? They're daydreaming. They're talking to their coworkers. They're getting up. They're walking. They're doing bathroom bakes. They're surfing on the Internet. They're playing video games. No, this is true. You can't make this stuff up. It's just absolutely unbelievable. And do you realize, according to the study, nothing else, nothing else comes close to these three things. So here it is. The average American spends about eight hours of sleep, Six hours pursuing leisure and fun, four hours of actual work. And get this, religion, they put religion and civic activity, it's kind of like an asterisk. You know what a civic activity is? That means you're volunteering for a cause or a charity. That comes out to one half hour a day. A half hour a day. That sums up the average American's life. You you know, you, you cannot say that the average American is extremely worldly, but what's the truth about you and me? All right, now that we're sufficiently convicted. Secondly, the Apostle John tells us that the people of this world, they lust after. They crave for everything that you can see. Tim, put up again First John chapter 2 and verse 16. All he ever wanted was more in his life. He wanted more money. So he parlayed inherited wealth into a billion-dollar pile of assets. He wanted more frame, so he broke into the Hollywood scene and soon became a filmmaker and an actor. 
He wanted more pleasure, so he paid handsome sums to indulge his every fleshly wants. He wanted more thrills, so he designed and built and piloted the fastest aircraft in the world. He wanted more power, so he secretly dealt political favors so skillfully that he actually had two United States presidents become his pawn. All he ever wanted was more. He was absolutely convinced that if he had more, he would truly find satisfaction. Sadly, though, history shows otherwise for this person. He ended his life emaciated, colorless, sunken chest, fingernails in grotesque inches-long corkscrews, rotting black teeth, tumors, and innumerable needle marks from his various drug addictions. Howard Hughes died believing the myth of more. That is a Time magazine picture. He would not allow photographs to be taken. That's Howard Hughes at the end of his life. And you know what's tragic, though? I mean, I understand the world doing that. I really do. But you know what's tragic to me is how much of the American church has bought in to the myth of more and that more is good for the soul. This is true. I mean, again, I can't make this up. This, this comes out of the Christian Post. I do. I read the Christian Post, so I'm not trying to pick on anybody. But the Christian Post about a month ago had an article about Pastor John Gray. I mean, that's near and dear to my heart because I'm a pastor. And Pastor John Gray uh, was, you know, made the headlines. I guess the headlines read, Pastor John Gray says he made a faith deposit on his wife's $200,000 Lamborghini. Tim, can you put up the picture? I don't know if you have that picture. Maybe we don't have that picture. But if you go to the Christian Post, you'll see this pastor. He bought his wife for their eighth anniversary. Now, Susan would like this, though, I mean. Eighth anniversary, a $200,000 Lamborghini. Now, what was tragic is this. What was tragic is John Gray said this statement, and I quote, it was God who made the acquisition possible. Now, I'm going to tell you right now, I am a pastor. I do resent that. And I'm going to tell you categorically that it's false and that it's wrong. And he is, no, he is deluded. In fact, he clearly has not read 1 Timothy chapter 6. Tim, will you put that up? And I'm going to remind you, please, please look at this very closely. Teach these things. So Paul is talking to Timothy, his protege, he's discipling him, and encourage everyone to obey them. Some people may contradict our teaching. Now think about what we've been talking about, but these are wholesome teachings of the Lord Jesus Christ. These teachings promote a godly life. Anyone who teaches something different is arrogant and lacks understanding. Such a person has an unhealthy desire to quibble over the meaning of words. This stirs up arguments ending in jealousy, division, slander, and evil suspicion. These people, he's really talking about false teachers, always cause trouble. Their minds are corrupt. Now watch this. And they have turned their backs on the truth. To them, a show of godliness is just a way to become. Yet true godliness with I'm not hearing much here. Yet true godliness with contentment is great wealth. After all, we brought nothing with us when we came into the world, and you can't take anything when you leave it. So if you have food and clothing, let us be content. These are my words. See, this is what happens when you become born again. You understand that things are not going to make your soul well. 
Now, I need to give you a postscript to Pastor John Gray. He was again in the, he was in the Christian Post this past week, and, and here's the sad part about it, but I at least appreciate him doing this. He said, on New Year's Eve, this past New Year's Eve, he said, I contemplated taking my own life. You see, that's what happens. See, Satan is a liar. No, no, I want you to understand, Satan is a liar, and he's going to try to convince every one of us of the myth of more. If I just had more, I would be content. No, it just sucks the life. It sucks the very life out of your soul. Well, I, I'm going to ask you this. Can you, can you honestly pray in the morning? And I, I, I pray you can, because I really believe things are happening here in this congregation. Can you honestly pray in the morning and say, Lord, just th- I thank you for what I have. I'm going to challenge you to do it. I thank you for what I have. I thank you for my spouse. I thank you for my wife. I thank you for my kids. I thank you for w- w- the roof over my head. I thank you that my refrigerator's got full. I mean, just keep on going. I thank you. I thank you for the car that I have. I thank you. And Lord, please, Please continue to give me the gift of enjoyment, of contentment with what you have given me. You are eminently going to be much more happier and have joy than anybody else. We are a blessed people. We, no, no, we are a blessed people. You got, don't let Satan and people lie to you. All right, thirdly, very quickly, John tells us that this world takes pride and their achievements, and their possessions. Put up First John 2.16 again, just so people can see it. You know, someone not too long ago said these words, In America, pride in our possessions is commended, and a haughty self-ambition is considered a virtue rather than a vice. One theologian had this to say about pride. Pride is the worst viper that is in the heart. Pride is the most hidden, secret, and deceitful of all lusts. It will ultimately destroy your life? I want to give you a little quiz this morning as we wind on down. I want to give you a quiz on pride. Does pride have a grip on your heart and life, or or does it have a grip on mine? Five questions for your thinking. Here we go. Question number one, do I feel superior to others instead of feeling humbled before God? Question number two, do I find pleasure in people noticing me Or do I get more pleasure when Jesus is exalted? Question number three. Am I more aware of someone else's sinfulness than the sin and the darkness that resides in my own heart? Question number four. Do I talk about what exalts me or what will help others? Question number five. Do I feel bad when others are noticed more than I am? How'd you do? Really? Because you see, even a little bit of pride, I just want you to know, even a little bit of pride, it's been a real nemesis in my life, will just kill you. It just sets you up for satanic, satanic deception. Please, please, please hear me on that. You need to deal with it. I need to deal with it. Well, let me challenge us. The challenge is, and I wish we really did have more time, but we just don't. First John chapter 2 and the last part of 16 and 17. 
He says these things. So John is talking about all that we just talked about. But he says these things are not from the Father, but are from this world. And this world is fading away along with everything that people crave. But anyone who does what pleases God will live forever. You know, John is clear here. He says, you know, if, if, if I cr- crave, you know, to please my flesh, if you crave desire to please your flesh, if you, if, you, if you fall for the myth of more and begin to buy this idea, if I have more and more things, he, sa- he says, if, if, if I buy into the idea of pride and, 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 and that, that it's really a big deal to have a lot of possessions and, and tell people how wonderful I am and all that I've done, John not only says that's worldly, but hear this now. He says it's stupid. Why? Why is it stupid? Because look what he says. He says, and the world is what? It's fading away. This world. See, this is, this is what it means to walk by faith. It's to understand that everything that you see will burn. <coughs> everything you see will burn. It's fading away. How many here, you know, we're big into exercise here in America, right? How many here would join a club? You would pay a membership, we'll say $300 a year, and you find out, though, that that club is involved, you know, it's in bankruptcy proceedings. Are you going to give $300 knowing that the company's in bankruptcy proceedings? We'll say, of course not. How many here would buy a ticket for the Titanic knowing that it's going to go down? Well, you say, that's stupid. Well, that's what John's saying. It's stupid. He's saying the world is the Titanic. It's going down. He said, none of it. It's it's, it's just all going to fade away. You know, one of the saddest and scariest parts of Scripture for me Maybe not for you, but for me, it's found in 2 Timothy chapter 4. You know, and just, just to remind you, this is Paul's last letter. He's in the Marmotine prison. He's rotting. He knows he's going to die. <coughs> and he, look, look what he writes. Can you see? He's all alone in the Marmotine prison. You don't come out of the Roman Marmotine prison. Nobody does. Timothy, please come as soon as you can. Demas. Now, if you read other letters, you, you know that name. He's in other letters of Paul. Demas has deserted me. Why? Because he loves the thing of this life. You might have in your, your translation, because he loved the world, and he's gone to Thessalonica. Crescens has gone to Galatia, and Titus has gone to Dalmatia. I go, no, how is that possible? How is it possible for this guy, Demas, we, we don't know how long, but he's in the inner circle of Paul. Three, four, five years. How is it possible to be in the inner circle and then to desert him? How can that happen? If, if Tim puts up the scripture again, John gives us the answer. You know what he says? He says, because the love of the Father is not in Demas. The love of the Father was never, never in Demas. Isn't that something? You've got to go back a little further. 
How about you? See, I, I had to ask. See, I preached to myself first. Can you honestly say that the love of the Father is what is driving your life this morning? Now, I, I, I believe with all my heart, I'm seeing it more and more here. I, I, I believe with all my heart. You say, Frank, well, see, Demas terrifies me, okay? I mean, if it, hey, come on. If, if it can happen to Demas, let us not be prideful, arrogant, and thinking it can't happen to us. So what's the answer to it all? You know what the answer is? He gives us the answer. John says this. He says this. Here's the way not to get sucked into the world because in its fleeting pleasures. He says this, but anyone who seeks, who does what pleases Papa, will live forever. Anyone who seeks, so you get up in the morning, who, whose desire, Papa, my desire is to please you, is to live for you, you will live forever. See, you got to ask yourself, first thing, what audience are you playing to in the morning? There's a great song. It's called The Audience of One. Remember that? It's a great song. What audience are you really playing to? See, and if you say, when, right, right when you wake up in the morning, Jesus, I just, I'm playing for you. I just want to please you. You're my coach. You're my head coach. If you played sports, I played football, I played baseball, but you love your coach. <laughs> Any guy who played, you love your coach. And you'll run through a wall for your coach. See, that's how I think of Jesus. I say, Lord, you're my coach. How can I please you today? See, if that's what your desire is, you're going to live forever. And you won't get sucked in to this world. Lord, I just thank you for your word. I pray that we will just take it really seriously. Oh, I I, I just think a, a guy like Demas, wow. Now, he's got an eternity of regret. And I pray that none of us, none of us here will have that same thing happen to us. But we will allow you, Holy Spirit, to speak to us. We will allow these words of life to get deep within us. And we'll begin to be obedient because we have faith, the faith to believe it. And I ask for this in your precious name. Amen.